Blog Talk Radio. Hello there. Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, number 196, is brought to you by Dummy, a new web series on YouTube, starring, written, and directed by Joe Dallow, and also starring Izzy Diaz. Dummy is the story of Sammy and Donnie. One is a dummy and one isn't. Or is he? I don't know. You have to tune in and check it out. Go to YouTube.com and search Dummy, the web series. Subscribe to the channel. Episode 3 is coming out very soon, so we'll get caught up with it. All right. Now time for Ready to Unload with Callan Sampete, number 196, with Joe Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com, talking New York sports nice. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We're tonight's entertainment. Hold the phone. Hey, brother. Just a bit outside. Just gotta stop, man. We should have the same conversation. Number 196. 96. Coming to you live from Comac, New York, Bayside, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. It's Thursday night. It's 10 p.m. It is time for Ready to Unload with Cal and Pete. Hi. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Pete, Steve San Pietro. Uh, thanks for joining us. We're going to talk uh, New York sports for uh, a while. Thanks for taking the time. And if you're listening to this in podcast form, which I hope you are, uh, good stuff. Great. Hope you're running. Jogging, maybe. Jogging. The J might be silent. Um, welcome, to, welcome to the show. We have a, a huge, uh, huge, big podcast tonight that we're streaming and recording live. So it's good times. Um, we have Joe Caparoso, who is joining us for the 37th time in our 196 episodes. Um, no, it's. I think it's his sixth, though, probably, somewhere in there. Um, he is the founder and uh, editor-in-chief of TurnOnTheJets.com, which is a great website, uh, probably the best Jets non-team-run website, uh, although he's getting a lot of traction with the team, making appearances on NewYorkJets.com and stuff like that. And he's also the director of social media at Whistle Sports, which is a pretty cool website. So Joe is going to join us to talk about the Jets, Again, and the NFL, and of course he's seeing Aziz Ansari tonight at Madison Square Garden, uh, so we're going to hear about that show a little bit. And also, Joe got engaged. So, the three 40-plus-year-old guys who have been married for a really long time, 
uh, will bust his balls about that, probably, without being uh, trite, hackneyed, or cliche. That's going to be impossible. Okay, let's uh, bring in the uh, the co-host of the podcast, and one of and I'm going to say this. He will be making predictions tonight, I'm sure. He's uh, he's one of my best friends. He really is. This guy, this is a good guy. This is a good this is a good guy. We've known each other since we're eight years old. Thirty two years we put in. This poor guy Hell. has had to listen to me has had to listen to me talk for thirty two years. And I bet he would say you have not shut up since the first day of Little League. Shut up, please. He's very excited about hockey tomorrow night. He is Mr. Brian Calniva. Calpino Caliente. Because he's so hot. Hi, Brian. Hi, Steve. Hello, friend. I've got a long, flowing robe on tonight. Sequined. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see that coming. I did not know you were going to go with the uh, the regal look. That's the music. I didn't know you were going to go to the regal beagle either. Let, let me let me um, follow up on on your introduction. Yeah, and tell you, and and the bishop who we'll bring in in a minute. You should both know that I will listen to you for another thirty two years if I have to. <laughs> I'm afraid you don't have a choice. <laughs> not according to this contract. That not according to this RTU contract is ironclad, my friend. Apparently, the attorneys have told me it's at least thirty, at least thirty-two years. At is least is no, what 30. they tell me, and that's and that's a okay. Is buddy. there if you were going to open a bar, would it be like in Brooklyn? Let's say you were going to open a cool bar in Brooklyn. Would it be two sort of would it be trying too hard to call it the Regal Beagle? No. It wouldn't, right? Not if you not if you design it as if it were the Regal Beagle. <laughs> so you so you have to you have to get it's got to be in a basement. Right, it's got to be threes you got to get a threes company episode where the Regal Beagle is featured prominently and then you're going to design it exactly as the Regal Beagle. Right. You know, shot shot for shot. Right. Everything. We're going to hire Jim, the bartender, also. <laughs> Did the Regal Beagle have, uh, like, the picnic table tablecloths for some reason? I see that. I don't remember. I think it was kind of florally. Circular like, like, cocktail tables? Yeah, 70s-ish type. Yeah. Reds and whites. Are you sure that's not trying too hard? No. no. Uh, okay, so that's the official, the official word? No, the ruling is no. That's... You try, you try so hard that it makes it look like you're not trying at all. I love that. And that's how you do it in Brooklyn. I think um, that should be one of the goals for the show, throughout the show. We're going to bring uh, the third man in, the third man into this uh, this melee, this scrum, this Donnybrook. Uh, the Bishop Big Donut, our buddy PJ. There he is. He's like the front wheel on the tricycle. He is the front <laughs> Wait, so that makes us the back wheel? That's right. That makes you the tassels on the handlebars. That's what that makes you.
Hi, bitch. Hi. Hi. Oh, wait. I listen love, listen I to this part. When did we uh, commission Steve Stevens to do your intro music? <laughs> I like that every time that's played, you come up with another noodler. <laughs> Where did we get X? Right. I did when not did we know. We hired we had, George Lynch to do that. I did not know we had the money and the budget for Dawkin to do the uh, <laughs> to do your intro music. Is, Tell me is, who's behind the door. Hey, go easy on Zebra. Easy, my friend. That was my first right, drum team. It's, it's all the same. Uh, it's all the same to me. A certain, that was my, certain strata of those bands are all the same. You have to take Zebra on a different plane. If you're from Long one, Island. One stripe at a time. <laughs> yeah. You have to... Because uh, if you're from Long Island, Zebra holds a, holds a very special place in your heart. That's and then, right. of course, that was my drum teacher. Zebra? Guy Gelso, the oh. drummer from Zebra, was my drum teacher. I always thought there was a guy named Zebra. <laughs> In Zebra? In Zebra. <laughs> there was Randy Jackson, Felix Henneman, and Guy Gelso. Not, not the Randy Jackson No, that the kids are familiar with right that's now. correct. Different, different Randy ones. Jackson. Who, and uh, there was, there was uh, people in... So, in other words where people in Long Island revere Billy Joel in that special way that only a hometown crowd can, you're right. saying there's a similar love for Zebra the hairband? It's it's not even on the same level. And by the way, how dare you? They were not a hairband. They were sorry. progressive they were a progressive rock band. In they the were, vein in the I, vein of like I Rush. Stand, and, yes. I stand corrected. That's true. Um, they were the Long Island yes. But they, they were, were forced they, to share the stage with hairbands. Correct. Well, they um, had they had the hair, so they were the cat. They did have quite a bit of hair. I remember vividly that Guy Gelso, uh, who was a, a fantastic drummer, when he was my drum teacher, is you know this is at the end of Zebra, so so uh, he still had the hair, but the receding hairline on top, right? Not a great look, <laughs> and like the kind of long all the way around look, like when Hasselhoff would have long hair. Like the fella from Queensryche. That's right. Yeah, that's similar. Right. Sort of like not Hermione a... Granger, but in a man. <laughs> that's correct. That's what you're saying. Not... In a, in a, in some guy from Louisiana, not a great look. <laughs> and like a a 42 year old rocker. Hey. Well, at the time I was 13. That's old. Right. He couldn't have been 42, by the way. That would make him like 70 now. <laughs> there's no there's no chance of that. You'd be surprised. You see some of these guys aging, and you're looking at them. You're like, "Oh my God, how old are they when I when I like them?" If you don't know who Zebra is, uh, go to iTunes and put in Zebra and or search for Zebra. Who's behind the door? Which is from 1983, That's, yeah. and uh, it doesn't get much more prog rock epic than Who's Behind the Door. You know, it's not, the age it's of not really prog rocky, actually. Mm. Is it Prague? I don't know where to put Zebra, because it's not Prague. It well, sounds you right it's to, put them next, to put them next to Rush, I think, is... Yeah. yeah. You can safely put Zebra, but they were about to hit big, and then their first album, aptly titled Zebra, did very, very well, and they were like touring with Aerosmith and big bands and stuff like that, and they were in Circus, so they had really made it. Sure. 
and That's Hit Parade. You know, you're right. You're... Mm-hmm. And their second album came I... out and nobody liked it. I seem to remember uh, Zebra, Triumph, and Dokken being like this, was it a tour? Or they they were like always, it was like those three names were always grouped together, you know? They always got compared to Rush, too, because they were three guys. It was a three-man band. And and Guy Gelso was an incredible drummer. Randy Jackson was a great guitarist. That's as deep as anybody looks. Oh, there's three guys? They must be like Rush. They're Rush. There it is. There's 17 guys? <laughs> then, then they're Chicago. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, uh, the age of celebrities, to shock me, like I was very surprised, a little depressed, but very surprised when I learned that Jerry Seinfeld had just turned 60. Yeah. And I yeah. said, What? Yeah. How is Jerry Seinfeld sixty? I know, and that that does that does age you. It does. Yeah, I, like, well, I don't I know felt if the I... little thing right here in the chest area. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> please with the with the doctor terms, please the chest area. Please <laughs> with, with, with the with the medical jargon. I had a pain. <laughs> I had a pain in the chestal area. In the chestal lobe, the um. I don't know what's made me feel older this year, turning 40 or seeing things like that. Like seeing Jerry yeah. Seinfeld is 60. Like, whoa, whoa. No, no. That's right. no good. You know? And Guy Gelso may be 73 years old. <laughs> that would make me feel very old. Right, right. Are you trying right. to say or, Bob uh, Geldof? Uh, <laughs> I am trying to no, say. I'm not. Look, I don't like Mondays. Okay? I'm just like Garfield and Bob Geldof. I don't like Mondays. Where do you stand um, on lasagna? <laughs> Did Bob Geldof like lasagna? Is the question that everybody, nobody asked, actually. He, no, he's good with Italian. Uh, you know, uh, Phil Collins was in Genesis, and Genesis just released really? a group photo what? because because well, spoiler alert. Well, you never know what people know and don't RTU, know. Are you are you breaking? So they released a press photo because they just did a new documentary, and. Bill Collins has become a tiny old dude, <laughs> like like cartoony, like like Hobbit, like. He was always he's small, this, though. He's gone from small to tiny. <laughs> like there's been significant height loss, old loss. He's not three apples his high. Skull is small. His skull is smaller. You know what I mean? Like. It's just he just he's become very very diminutive, and You're I just looked at him and went, man, yeah, how old am I? Like Louis Tomlin <laughs> in The Incredible Shrinking Woman, right? So now when when Phil Collins sits in a rocking chair, it's huge. <laughs> That's what I'm envisioning. Video concept, now. right? In a, in a sweater vest. So how does it end? We uh, <laughs> That's a deep cut for you there. Phil Collins was in Genesis. Are you sure? I was just backfilling a little info. That's all. Next, That's next, all. you're going to tell me Peter Gabriel was in Genesis. Whatever. Whoa, whoa. Now, see, that would have been a nugget that maybe some of our younger listeners might not know. Who's Peter Gabriel? Is what <laughs> they would say next. Uh, can we put Peter Gabriel solidly on the "I don't get it" list for me? Is that okay? Are you guys all right with that? 
It's fine. I understand why you don't get it. I love him to pieces. <laughs> You're about to That's talk down to me. <laughs> no. No. We, sh- I, we should have I a, condes- know- a condescension warning alert. Like, <laughs> boop, boop. condescending uh, alert. Boop, he just pulled his no, no, no. out from under the desk. No, no, no. This is this is not a case of you just don't get it, man. You just don't get it. Like, no, I totally understand how he is not everybody's taste. There's no argument. I like some of it. All you needed was the frustrated sigh. <laughs> <sighs> All right. <laughs> Let me explain Peter Gabriel. Just, you know, ah, I didn't I know. know tonight's episode was going to be explaining Peter Gabriel. Okay. Polyrhythms and pop rock. <laughs> by by PJ Kijopo. <laughs> Everybody take out your notebooks, please. <laughs> Cal and, and I are like, all right, here we go. <laughs> this is when I this is when I also take out a pencil and dab it on my tongue for some inexplicable reason as I'm about to take notes. Never We've also been asked to turn in our that. iPhones. <laughs> That's right. right. Please please hand in your iPhone. And um the bishop is about to hold class on Peter Gabriel. Uh, I like I like Salisbury Hill. Yeah, good song. This will be a little fun load topic too. Uh, you know, we, we've done we've done we've touched on it before, but it's always fun to revisit uh, stuff stuff you just don't get. Yeah, and, and and the and the and the condescending looks from the people that do get it. Which are shock like, the monkey. Shock, like shock the monkey. I, I don't. I don't didn't care mean to song. do that. I don't mind, PJ. I've known you for 20-odd years. I've seen that look before, my friend. It's all right. It doesn't, doesn't bother me anymore. It's the look but, you give to me when I say I can't listen to Gomez. Right. We Well. Uh, See? Take out, everybody, please take out your notebooks. <laughs> the slide projector, please. I didn't know please. I needed a three-subject notebook for this class. <laughs> I've only got one subject here. You needed a trapper keeper. Speaking of Garfield. You need, you need a trapper keeper. Um, we are going to talk allowed about... in my daughter's school, by the way. Trapper keepers? Too fancy. What? Marble notebooks. Regular binders. They give the kids Chromebooks to take home. No trapper keepers. And don't make me say it again. So let me get this straight. She can have a netbook. Mm-hmm. That's yep. not too fancy. But a trapper keeper That's right. can't have that three-folder technology. Are they paperless? Beyond the pale. Yeah. That's why. You don't need a trapper keeper if you're paperless. They're paperless. It's 2014. Wake up. They're attempting They're attempting baby steps towards paperless. They are in no way paperless. <laughs> no way, shape, or form paperless. No. Did so far, all up? they've done is cancel sending home notices and memos to the parents, and instead they flood our email inboxes with them. I was going to say, did they send a memo home announcing that they were paperless? They right. did. Yeah, that's what they do. It was a 14 Turned page. out it's the first of 10,000 PDFs you get every week. Do you get the phone calls, too? Now. Do you get the phone messages? Oh, sure. Right? So Tomorrow's the smoothie sale. I know all about it. Right. I'm sorry, but you, I'm sorry what's that now? <laughs> but you've been told... smoothie sale. It's a fundraiser. There's a smoothie. You send your kid in with two dollars, he gets a, he gets a smoothie this big and uh the school keeps the money. Oh good. It's a good cause. Doesn't good it, cause. that go to Chromebooks? 
I don't want it to go to Chromebooks. I need my kids on the internet less. <laughs> Probably a good point. So, trapper keepers, sorry, no more. Yeah, right. No more three binder technology. All right. Who knew? We are going to talk sports tonight, by the way. Joe Caparoso from TurnOnTheJets.com is going to join us to talk a lot of Jets. A lot of Jets. So uh, buckle up, because, of course, it's been a bumpy ride for the New York Jetropolitans. Uh, Cal, um, before we spend the next hour hour or so talking about the Jets, um, oh, that's what I wanted to do, guys, and we can do this maybe in the fun load later. But, Peej, while we're talking to Joe Caparoso of TurnOnTheJets.com, branding, um, <laughs> you, I want to think of – so, Regal Beagle. So, I'm going to open a bar in Brooklyn called the Regal Beagle, right? Give me some – let's think of some other restaurants and or places like that from TV shows, movies that we could open up. <laughs> I, think, I think he's here. Because that was – last night was my first time in – in that area of Brooklyn in a long time, I went to see the Dead Authors podcast, a recording of it with uh, Paul F. Tompkins. It was fantastic. And um, that was the first time I was in that area of Brooklyn in a while, like on 4th Avenue and like DeGraw and Bergen and stuff like that. And there are – I went to a bar called Standard Pacific, which was like a California bar. So they they had like – they had no TVs, which I live in Bayside. That's a foreign concept, like – even the Chinese restaurants have TVs on, on Bell Boulevard. Like you, you can't miss sports on Bell Boulevard. Every restaurant has a television. No TV, Cal, and it was all like surfboards hanging up, and like it was, you know. And I was drinking Anchor Steam, and it was, you know, it was a California bar, Standard cool. Pacific. Yeah, it was great, but it was really like uh, grungy, Brooklyny, and and you know, hipstery and stuff. Without, so it wasn't, you know. Um, uh, like over the top of it. I want to think of, uh, give us other ones. We need other ones. Just let's think of that before we go to the fun load. Okay, well, we're going to be busy, I think, before we go to the fun load. Well, this is Joe Caparoso. Right, we're going to have, Jeff we're going <laughs> to, Branding, we're going to have PJ do that. That's what PJ's going to do. Oh, right. He has a job. Well, we got to give him something to do. He can't just sleep. He doesn't care if the Jets are calling a safety blitz and playing cover zero. He doesn't care. Oh, you'd be surprised how much he cares about that. <laughs> he does? Nobody asked him. No, but that's true. We've never asked. We've never asked him. This is when we give him a condescending sigh. <laughs> when, he, when he says, I don't get blitzing on 3rd and 11 when your corners aren't very good. Um, let's, uh, let's bring him in. Joe's here. Shall we welcome him back to the podcast for episode... Uh... There it is. Oh, the Joe Mix. Yes, that's the Joe Mix. This is his intro music. <laughs> Joe Caproso. Turn on the Jets.com. Editor in chief. Is that all of them, Peach? You see those two songs with the, <laughs> with the name Joe in it. Hey, Joe. What's up, guys? You know, you know, I love that uh, intro song. I wish I could hear it more frequently, like when I walked into like the office and stuff, or <laughs> like a crowded restaurant or something. I really, I really enjoy it. We'll send it to you, and you can put it on your phone, so you could just play it when you walk in somewhere. 
I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I'm willing to give it a shot. <laughs> hey, everywhere you walk into, people are like, why is there, what the hell, who is this guy? He's got his own theme music? Wow. This guy is, boy, talk about branding. This guy's this guy's into it. Uh, hey Joe, welcome back uh, to the program, man. It's been uh, it's been a while. It's been a good six uh, six months or so, or no, since the draft, right? So that was yeah. May. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah first off, been, uh, how uh, how was Aziz? Aziz was really good. I thought uh, probably a good show. Really interactive with the crowd. Um, pretty improvisational, which was good. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who opened for him. He was also really funny too. And uh, really good crowd, though. Good environment in MSG. I want you to break down Aziz, like, turn on the Jets style. Like, turn on the Jets.com style. Like, did he <laughs> did he rush anything? Did he, you know, make a bad call with maybe one bit that he could have put at the end? Or Unlike, unlike the Jets, he seemed to be able to adjust to what was happening <laughs> during the show and work with the crowd and change things on the fly. And if a joke wasn't working, he wouldn't repeatedly say over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Just can you can you tell that there was effort put into this show? There, there seemed to be a lot of preparation and then also mm-hmm. the ability to adjust on the fly, which was encouraging to see both of those aspects from the comedian. Because yeah. what you always hope to see. Right. You just didn't keep trotting out the same joke, just time after time after time, the same punchline, hoping for a different result. Exactly. Yeah, good. Um, buddy, welcome back. It's great to have you. One other thing, we'll 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 touch on this a bit more later, but uh, congratulations on your uh your your pending nuptials, your rending puptuals, as I used to call them. Uh Thank you. Then, I feel very old. Yeah, it's uh that's going to age you, buddy. I don't I don't care how old you are. That's uh, just tack on 5. Just tack on yeah, whatever you are, just tack on 5. Between that and between how how this season started, that's like a quick ten years for me. I'm probably forty right now. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with being forty, buddy. Okay, you watch yourself. Hey, yeah, right? hey, nothing nothing wrong with being forty, but I'm just forty's I'm the new thir- right now. Forty's the new thirty eight. All right, so. <laughs> wait till you're forty, you'll be feeling it. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're gonna and we're honestly three married guys. We're gonna save you all the the BS cliches and the oh it's it sucks and blah 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 whatever. Marriage is different for every human being. Uh, it's not for everybody. Um, but, uh, you know, go get them. I say go get them. I'm going to try. I'm going to try my best. Hey, look, all you can do is prepare. You know, go out there. Put, put your best marriage out on the field, and uh, let's see how it turns out. All I know is your marriage is going to get your best effort. That's for sure. Exactly. Yes, I'll be prepared. I will be ready in practice for my marriage. I'll take my practice rep seriously. The <laughs> well, that's the engagement, right? You gotta, you gotta take yeah. the engagement seriously. And um, um, no, seriously, congrats, Joe. Um, we met the girl uh, at the draft. Uh, she seems like a, a super gal, and to put up with the crap that um, you know, running turn on the Jets does, and and all the the, the all the football and all the sports and stuff like that. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it seems like you picked like a special girl for that. It takes, believe me, Cal's Cal's wife has not watched a football game with him ever, ever. Ever. Yeah, I think I'm trending on that course too, but it does definitely require a patient uh, girl, especially at this mm-hmm. time of the year. Yeah. Uh, speaking of boys, let's let's just get into this. Let's start uh, unpacking where we are right now um, with the Jets. And and here's here's how I want to do this, Joe. We're always uh, Cal and I are always super excited to have you on because it means that 
um, for the most part, we can put away all the ancillary BS that goes along with being a Jets fan, like you guys did on the podcast uh, this week. You know, when you held the, I like how you guys hold up the little signs on the YouTube podcast. Yeah, that's and, a very uh, professionally made thumbnail uh, right. for our YouTube videos. Right. Piece of notebook and, paper with a marker. Yeah, and this week's was this is no fun. You know, yeah. this 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 team once again five weeks into the season has devolved into. Uh, no fun to follow in no small part because of once again how they're being portrayed in the media. A lot of the reasons that you started turn on the uh, turn on the Jets dot com in the first place, Joe. So Cal and I are excited to have you on because it means we get to talk about actual football and we can put the crap aside for a bit. I do want to talk about John Itzik. I do want to talk about the piece that Bill Barnwell wrote. I do want to talk about the piece that um, uh, the the guy from Over the Cap wrote today. Um, which are sort of uh, completely, you know, antithetical pieces about John Itzik. But before we do that, I want to talk about football. I want to talk about what's going on on the field. You did a great, you guys do a great job every week. Um, this week in particular, um, I really love the breaking down the <laughs> passing game, in quotes, uh, because you couldn't really call it that. Um but the the film breakdowns, Joe, are really getting better and better on TurnOnTheJets.com and I think inspiring more intelligent conversation among Jet fans. So first off, have you found that? Have you found that as you and Connors and you know your guys' film breakdowns improved, have you found it's improving the dialogue uh, of people around the site? Yeah, I, I think there has been an improvement, and I like to I like to think it's helping a trend in that direction. And trying to get too caught up in what is commonly referred to as kind of like the loud minority, right? I think it's easy to kind of be like, God, all Jet fans are awful. They're all these like miserable, same old Jets, and they just want to fire everybody. And they, you know, those are the loudest people. I, I think there's a plenty of a majority of reasonable Jet fans who can hold plenty of intelligent, reasonable discourse about the team, even when everything seems to be crumbling around them like it is right now. Um, so I try not to get too caught up in the loud minority. It's easy to get very annoyed and, you know, very frustrated with, you know, some of the comments. And I, a lot of it I understand, look, people are going to, when you lose 31 nothing, you don't cross the 50-yard line for the fourth quarter. People are going to be venting Monday and Tuesday and even into Wednesday and throughout the entire week. You know, it's just going to happen. It's frustrating to see your team immediately be one and four and you know lose like that. But um, yeah, it's been it is fun to kind of not I don't want to say it's fun to dig into this tape, but it's just fascinating to see you know what the problems are and you know why they keep happening and you know where this team is losing on a week to week basis. Frustrating but interesting. Now that's interesting that you say that. What have you discovered? Do you have do you have the magic formula as to why this team is losing on a week to week basis or why they why they continue to fail? What's the biggest thing that's really standing out to you from an on the field standpoint? Yeah, I, I don't think it's debatable that there there are talent shortcomings at certain positions. I've never I've never taken that stance. I think this the injuries I think Eric Decker and D. Milliner not being hundred percent at any point so far this season has absolutely killed the Jets. And the huge. fact that it's huge. If there, if there, if there huge. were yeah, if there were two guys really that you could say they cannot afford to be off the field this year, it was those two. And yep. unfortunately their depth was set up in a way where it doesn't it makes it very difficult for them to sustain those injuries. That being said, they're not being helped at all by the way they are scheming on the field, particularly on defense where they 
will repeatedly blitz seven, eight guys and leave their three, either their rookie safety or someone like Kyle Wilson in man-to-man coverage with no help and repeatedly get beat over and over again. And you saw the Chargers literally score their first two touchdowns on basically the exact same play where it was a third and long. Rex would blitz eight at the quarterback and Antonio Gates would beat Antonio Allen for a touchdown where it was third and long and Eddie Royal would beat David Harris or beat Kyle Wilson. The week before it was David Harris having seven passes thrown at him, completed seven times for 125 yards and a touchdown. How does that not adjust the two in game? How do you let David Harris, who's been your linebacker for now six years, get abused in coverage like that? Or how do you keep leaving Kyle Wilson on Golden Tate so you can't get off the field on third down? So that's pouring game adjustments, and that's being kind of stubborn to your system and saying, this is who we are, this is how we have to play. And offensively, it's been very bizarre to watch how they've used their personnel. Uh, you know, you see Jeff Cumberland kind of going out there and playing 50 to 60 reps every week. And I think last week he played 52 reps, had six targets and two catches for 12 yards. Jason Morrow played about 25 reps and I think had three targets, three catches, and 19 yards. And there's no big discrepancy in their blocking. Cumberland's not a good blocker. Amaro obviously has a way to go there, but his ceiling as a pass catcher, obviously much higher and much more needed. Get him more involved at the running back position. Stop letting Chris Johnson run the football up the middle. Don't treat him like Chris Ivory's backup. Let Bilal Powell be Chris Ivory's backup and run up the middle when Ivory's tired. And get Johnson involved in the screen game and the pass game. He should be contributing more to them as a pass catcher than a running back. And he's struggling with these carries up the middle. He's not playing to his strengths. He fumbled last week. And uh, they have not been a well-coached team through five games. They have talent shortcomings. Yes, they've also been one of the worst coached teams in the league through five games, and I think you're starting to see that when you have guys like Demario Davis, Sheldon Richardson, Nick Mangold, and even the actions that we've seen from Vic and Gino all coming through now. Those are all really bad reflections on Rex. That's it. I mean, that's that's exactly it. You 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 summed it up perfectly. And also, and I'll add to that something that you have pointed out on the site too, Joe. Um, why is I'm sitting here trying to figure out they have been an unbelievably poorly coached team. They're also a, you know, a bad timeout call and a blown whistle dead from probably being 2 and 3. Um at least uh, maybe even 3 and 2. They weren't out talented those first few games. Um you know, especially against the Packers and the Bears, those were winnable games. They had enough talent on the field to win those games. Uh obviously being without Decker is a huge huge loss. Um, for that offense, because as you've pointed out, uh, that offense operates, Geno operates entirely differently when Decker's on the field. Uh, but the other thing, what, what, Joe, what is going on with Marty Morningway? What is going on? Why has this offense all of a sudden regressed and been reverted back to the Chaminade High School playbook? I mean, I forget who the uh, the analyst was like two weeks ago who was breaking down, you know, for somebody from the NFL or whatever, or NFL.com was breaking down the Jets-Lions film and was saying this this offense is not even remotely multiple. It's fooling no one. And it's unbelievably easy to defense. Unbelievably easy. And it looks in, entirely different than the offense that came out in the first half against the Packers. What What is going on? Has he... I, do we have an explanation? I mean, you pointed this out on the side. Why has this offense been made so simplistic? I haven't seen a combo route in like three weeks. 
it's weird because you think they would have learned from this last year when they had that really ugly three-game losing streak. This was kind of what the offense regressed to, this kind of one-read, very simplistic, extremely easy-to-defend offense. And they once they finally adjusted back and moved away from that, it sounds counterintuitive to be like, run, it, run a more up-tempo offense, let Gino throw the ball down the field, go no huddle from time to time and make it more complex because you're saying, God, he's struggling so much right now. He can't handle that. But you're actually making it harder on yourself and making it easier to defend when you give him this kind of simple one-read offense. Let him go out there, spread the field out, let him put the ball down the field. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to turn the ball over anyway. But at least you're going to get some plays to go along with that and get, for God's sakes, get in his ear and get him running the football again. The numbers are pretty yeah. simple. When he runs for more than 30 yards, the Jets are 6-1, and one, and his average QB rating is 83. His average QB rating when he's not over 30 yards rushing is way lower than that, and obviously the Jets aren't winning as much. You've seen his rushing totals you know, decrease every week this, this year, and there's like a hesitancy for him to run, and the Jets need that element of their offense because it makes them hard to defend. The Jets are harder to defend when you blitz and Geno Smith could take off up the middle for 15 yards. So there's going to be a running element to their offense from him, and that's completely disappeared. And I, I just don't understand or don't understand why they didn't kind of learn from their issues last year when they tried to simplify things. So, you know, I, I've been really critical of Rex and Morningland, and I'll continue to be as long as they're a poorly coached team. But, you know, that being said, they had good moments last year with Rex in particular. I say he's an inconsistent coach. To be an inconsistent coach, you have to be, you know, good as well as being bad at times. And we saw some really good game plans from him last year against New Orleans, against New England twice. So it feels like he's overdue for one after being outcoached by Jim Caldwell and Tressman and being completely cooked by the Chargers. I just don't know if this is the week for I just don't know if the Jets have anywhere near the firepower to even to compete right now. I do think they'll bounce back for him at some point. This doesn't feel like... I, it's very, still very tough for me to see a Rex Ryan team completely bottom out and go like 3-13. and 13. I think they'll find a way to scrap back when the schedule's a little softer, but they could very well be 1-6. and six. And, you know, when you get to that point of being 1-6, and six, it's very easy for things to kind of get away from you, especially when you've been the head coach now for six years and you're going on your fourth straight year with no playoffs. Joe, you know, everybody talks about the offense, and, and clearly there are issues on the offensive side of the ball. But the hallmark of a Rex Ryan team is his defense and they're always sold to everybody as a top defense in the league. And quite frankly, what we're seeing out of this defense is an inability to get a stop whenever they need to. I mean, you look at last week, San Diego was 12 for 18 on third down conversions. And it just seems to me week after week that this defense is not doing the job. What's going on on the defensive side of the ball? Is, is it, is it the way that they're being coached? Is it what the the looks that Rex is giving? And he, like you said, he's not adjusting. What What's your opinion on that? Uh, I think it's a mix of things. I think you pointed out well. It's It's been very frustrating to watch them play well on first and second down and then be completely unable to get a big stop when they need it. We saw they got back within one score against Detroit, immediately, immediately allowed a 90-yard touchdown drive. They started the game against San Diego allowing a 90-yard touchdown drive. They came out of the half against Chicago on an 80-yard touchdown drive. So, again, they are hurting in the secondary because they badly missed Milner and cost them the Green Bay game that they tried to play an injured Milner instead of a healthy Walls, which was head-scratching. 
And then, you know, Calvin Fryer is taking his lumps right now in a big way as a rookie. Dewan Landry is being completely overextended and being asked to do things that he just physically can't do at this stage of his career. And Rex is still kind of coaching this team like he has Darrell Rivas and Antonio Cromartie from two years ago, a corner, and he just doesn't. He cannot the, continue yeah. to kind of play that way. That's and the problem, just, Joe. That's the, that is the huge problem. When I'm watching the play calling on defense – Right now, Joe, it looks like he's actually play calling. Like, their defensive play calling has been awful. Awful. And it's like he's play calling with his ego. It really is. It really is. Like, I'm going to show you that I don't need great corners. It doesn't make a difference. I'm going to go ahead and play cover zero and blitz my safeties and give, you know, uh, a kid playing in his first NFL game no help over the top on Keenan Allen. Like, is he coaching with his frankly, with his ego, for for lack of a better term, because he's coaching this defense as if he has a secondary from four years ago. Yeah, I mean, we've seen we've, – this has been a recurring issue with Rex. It's kind of been his, like, stubbornness slash loyalty to his players and to his system and kind of over-believing over in certain players. And that's just being like, hey, Dewan Landry's my guy – I trust him to play 100% of the snaps and do all these things, but he can't do it anymore. I, I trust David Harris to be able to handle this coverage, and he can't. Or Kyle, Kyle Wilson's been my nickel back for four years, so Kyle I'm going to just leave him in the slot one-on-one. This is how we play defense. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to adjust. And when he coaches like that, when he benches Antonio Allen last year for Ed Reed or when he farts Scott out there a year too long trying to cover running backs in the flat, that's when he gets into trouble. When he starts getting away from that and thinking outside the box and he beats New England in a divisional playoff game by dropping eight guys into coverage every play and setting corner blitzes at him and mixing it up, or he comes out like he did against New Orleans last year with surprising them with Antonio Allen on Graham and mixing things up and coming at Breeze, that's when we see Rex at his best. But right now it's like he just seems like he's so kind of bogged down in this kind of stubborn, loyal approach. And now everything – it's very, it's tough to see. It really feels starting to feel like everything's kind of crumbling around a little bit because to have the Mario Davis, who's basically the unquestioned leader of this defense from everything you hear, twice question the preparation of this team and how they prepare, did it in August and does it again, and then it makes Rex look stupid when he's at a press conference saying, well, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, well, he said it in August. He said it again. And Nick Mangold just backed it up. And Sheldon Richardson saying you have communication issues. So, What's going on here? Like, what? What the hell? Like, I don't understand. Like, it, it's it's a weird. But I, you know, I we always hear the conspiracy theory that Isaac is intentionally trying to sabotage Rex, which of course is ludicrous. No one would ever. How how you could ever think someone would intentionally go about doing that? I, I don't know. But yeah. how about the other conspiracy theory? Maybe Rex is trying to get himself fired, or he go somewhere else, and that's how he's been coaching <laughs> through his first five games. We, you know, you know what it feels like, Joe, is he's so loyal to his players that he's willing to go down in this way where he's going down being loyal to his players rather than try to save himself and adjust the way that he coaches. Yeah, I, it's hard to disagree with that. I hope I, – I do. I, listen, I, I've been really critical of the guy, and I, I really thought the Jets should have looked hard at last year and maybe just cutting the cord and going on. And, yep. you know, maybe that is the best thing for them going forward. That being said, it's hard not to – this is why a lot of Jet fans are very defensive of him because it's hard not to root for the guy. You hear him, he goes on the radio, he's taking all the heat, he's saying all these things where you want to go run through a brick wall for him, but 
that's not what you, you know, have to evaluate your coach by. The guy's 15 and 25 in his last 40 games. He's lost 10 games by 20 points or more. It's like those numbers don't hold up. There's no victim or excuse for losing like that. And I, I do hope he, they turn around and they play hard for him and they find a way to, you know, scrap back and make this season relevant. But it might just be time. It might just be time to cut the cord and get a guy in here who has a more kind of comprehensive mindset and can foster an an environment that is more conducive to a productive offense and a productive quarterback situation. Yeah. I mean, we, a couple of things here. You're, you're absolutely right. And something that Cal and I uh, talked about a little bit, and then you and I talked about a little bit too, Joe, that I wanted to, um, uh, to expand on in, in, in this forum with you guys. And that was the idea of uh, playing hard and the players playing hard for Rex. And um, I, I likened it to uh, Terry Collins because unfortunately we're Met fans. Um, And, you know, Terry Collins, the the excuse is always why he keeps his job. The excuse is always, well, the players play hard for him and he hasn't had talent. And that's what I'm starting to hear about Rex. Well, the players play hard for him. They don't quit on him. And he hasn't had talent. You know, it's John Itzik's fault for not surrounding him with talent. I guess it was Tannenbaum's fault for not surrounding him with talent too. Um, You know, or or not giving him talent to work with too. Um, and, and, And to me, you know, 10 losses by 20 points or more is not your team playing hard for you. And Sunday against the Chargers, that team quit. That team yeah. absolutely quit. Especially after the Chris Johnson fumble. After they got the pick, Adams gets the pick. They, they finally get an interception, finally, in game five. And, and it happens to come in their own end zone. Um, it could have been a huge game-changing play. The offense gets the ball. The first snap, they run Chris Johnson up the middle which is what you were talking about before, which is dumb. And Chris Johnson immediately fumbles the ball <laughs> right back to the charges. The game's over. They quit. They did. And, you know, Michael Vick didn't want to play in that game. He yeah, really and didn't Cho, want to play in that Cho, game. Too, those, those comments were not surprising, I think, to anyone who no. watched the game because he looked like he wanted no part of being in that game. Yeah. So how, how, how much longer do we have to put up with, because Cal and I hate Terry Collins at this point, how much longer do we have to put up with? And Cal, you brought up a great point too um, about Rex being a player's coach. And what, well, what were you saying? You were saying about uh, being a player's coach early on. It's just yeah. like being, it's just like being a disciplinarian, right? Right. It's like when you bring a guy in that's going to yell and scream and be a taskmaster. And if it's a lot different than the previous regime, you're going to get results initially. And the coach will be successful, the team will be successful, and the players will kind of go along with it because they see that it's after two or three years, that message is going to go flat, and the players are going to turn on the coach, and and it's not going to be effective anymore. And I like, think like Mangini, like Mangini, like yeah. And I think what's happened with um with Rex Ryan is a similar, it's a similar situation. Not exa- I mean, he's obviously not a taskmaster, and he's obviously not a yeller and a screamer, but he's almost too player friendly and the players obviously are going to love that when he comes in and they're going to run through walls for him and they're going to do everything that they have to to be successful and they were they went to two AFC championship games but it's almost like they start to take him for granted year three year four year five because they know that Rex has their back no matter what and they can go out there and lay an egg and they know that Rex isn't going to hold them accountable he's going to take the heat so it's almost like the message from him as being a player's coach 
is is not effective anymore. Yeah, I think what's been interesting and something to keep an eye on, we kind of saw this like seesaw since Woody's taken over. So you had a disciplinarian with Algro, and they went to a player's coach with Herm Edwards, and they went yep. back to a disciplinarian with Mangini, then they go to a player's coach with Rex. So yep. is that next hire going to bounce back and be less of a quote-unquote player's coach and more of a you know, kind of disciplinarian guy. I don't want to get bogged down in talking about 2015 candidates who's just way no. too early, but no. the names no, you'll hear a lot. You'll hear anyone who's associated with Seattle. You'll hear Bevel and any other assistants from Seattle. Yeah. And, you know, God forbid that, you know, Harbaugh does actually shake free. I would give him whatever he wants. I would give him the biggest contract in the NFL. I would do whatever was possible to go get him if he actually does shake free. I don't know if that really happens. Because if you don't go get him, Miami's going to go get him. And that guy's a hell of a coach. So if he's on the market, go get him. But beyond that, you know, who knows what can end up happening. Yeah, I, and I think, I think Cal, I think your point is really well taken. And I think it was illustrated with the Geno Smith situation with missing the meeting, right? Like, do these players feel like there's any – and I, wanna t- I don't want to talk about 2015 either. I totally agree, Joe uh, and Cal, because this year is still here. And there's there's – I'm sorry, there's talent on this team. There's talent. I'm sorry. You can't I know the secondary sucks and it sucks and there's no talent on, there's talent on this team. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's no reason that Jason Morrow is playing 22 snaps a game. And that's not on John Itzik. You know, John Itzik uh, uh didn't spend 20 million, you know, whatever it is, 24 million dollars. He's not trying to sabotage his own team. That's stupid. He doesn't have a contract for life. Okay, a five and eleven record goes on his, you know, slate just as much as it goes on Rex's. So, and he's a first-time GM in New York. You think he's going to risk going four and twelve and getting fired just to get rid of his coach? And all he had to do was not bring him back. All he had to do was not extend him. Exactly. You didn't have to bring him back and then sabotage him. So, you know, I thought Barnwell's article was 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 spot on. And and there's a guy who had no in Bill Barnwell who had no reason to write the article, no agenda. In fact, quite the contrary, he's usually very harsh on the Jets. Um, So he he had nothing to gain by writing that article. It was a completely objective viewpoint of what John Itzik's trying to do. And I think the best thing that Barnwell said was, is he going to be successful? I don't know yet, but here's what he's trying to do, right? We don't know if it's going to be successful, but here's what he's trying to do. But anyway, um, back to Rex and the player's coach thing and Geno Smith, I was of the opinion that um, – that – he, him, Rex, at least not sitting him for a series, just even the first series of that game in San Diego was a huge missed opportunity because they are taking advantage of him. There are no consequences. There's not even consequences for leaking stuff or speaking your mind. You know, and, and, and again, Rex tries to set up the system, right, guys? How many times has he said it? He said it about Demario Davis and this recent flare-up about, like, well, the players can say anything they want. We don't, we don't muzzle our players. They're allowed to say anything they want. Yeah, but Rex, some things need to stay in-house. Some things need to stay in the locker room. Otherwise, you know, quite rightly, the media is going to pick up on it, and you have a circus on your hands, and you have dis- a dysfunctional team on your, hand ag- on your hands again. And there's no – I think the defense – there's no penalty for Geno Smith. I don't care if it's a 10-minute meeting. There's no penalty. Everybody knew he missed it. There's no penalty for a guy missing a thing. There's no repercussions at all. 
And then he goes out there and goes three and out on his first, like, six series and is terrible. And the defense is like, well, you know what? F this. You know, it's not that I can never say football players don't try. Of course they're trying. When I say What I say by quit is when you get down 21 nothing in that game, they're, they're, then, you know, you're just out there trying not to get hurt. You know what I mean? You, you, you know you're not going to get back into that game. Right. Yeah. So, there's just no energy out there, and yeah. And I think yeah, the it's amazing how that. quick. Yeah. No, I think it case shown right through anyone who watched that game. And, and he had an opportunity to just sit him for a series. Well, I want to sit him for the game. Sit him for the first series of the game. That's your punishment. I want to ask you both, you guys, and get get your opinion on it. Um, if Geno Smith doesn't miss that meeting on Saturday night, does he come back out for the second half? Do you think that was Rex's way of punishing him? No, um, I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I. It's a good. question. I really think it was just like it's a good question. It's a, I, I don't have a definite answer for it. I would guess that maybe he had a quicker hook than usual because of it, but it very well just could have been, hey, we're down twenty-one nothing. We got to try something. It certainly didn't seem like Vic anticipated playing because he admitted he didn't prepare well, hard the other part the week. Of it. Right. Yeah. So that, either way, I mean, that game wasn't salvageable from that Chris Johnson fumble on. And yeah. it, it was like it was like a dead game. It was just like <laughs> spoiled milk, like a complete disaster. Like they've had yeah, a, it, way too many games like that as of late. But, yeah, that, it, yeah. and I don't know how quick Gino's hook is going forward. I mean, it, it's going to be a rough environment for him this Sunday at home, which is, you know, a shame, but it's just a reality. And that's a game that the Jets are probably going to be down – you know, 14 to 17 points at at some point, and, you know, Gino's throwing incompletions or, you know, throwing a desperation interception, you know, what happens? You know, I just I think you just, when you're playing, you know, you're nine, ten-point underdogs, just ride it out with them. I mean, you're not, if you fall behind, you know, 24 to 7 with Gino, what are you really gaining by putting Vic in, Vic in at that point? Right, right. it's a tough it's, situation, particularly coming yeah. off a week where Vic said he's not preparing <laughs> Right, and if it's evident, and 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 if it's evident that you're you can't stop Peyton Manning, and you have absolutely no answer for him, that's a different story too, right? Like, if you're down twenty four seven, you know, uh, you know, midway through the third quarter, but you've done a good job, and maybe Geno's thrown a pick six, and you know, you've sort of done a good job, like holding up the Broncos, and you've gotten a couple stops in a row. That's a different story than if you get down twenty four nothing, the Broncos take their foot off the gas. And, you know, I mean, it's just we just have to see the way the game goes. Everybody is saying that – let's talk about this game coming up this week a little bit. And then I want to get into um, maybe some larger picture stuff with the Jets and John Itzik. But this – everybody's saying I've, – I've seen this in so many places. Like, this is like a bounce-back week and Rex's team's bounce-back. I think they're going to get smoked like mozzarella. I really do. I think they are going to get absolutely I, – I really do. And I don't know why I have that feeling. I just have the feeling that, like, the Broncos are going to come out like a house of fire and, like, score in their first three series and just leave zero doubt about it. You know, but I had that feeling in the Green Bay game. So maybe I'm, you know, and the, and the Jets got out to a 23, uh, 21-3 lead. So maybe I'm completely wrong. But, Joe, if you were, nah, sh- strike that. How would you come out if you're the offense? Like, what do you want to see them do this week? What do you want to see Marty Morningway come out with 
this week to start this game? Just give me a couple of things. Uh, uh, give us a couple of things that you would look for against a very difficult Denver defense. Yeah, I mean, I just want to see the Jets run an NFL offense. I want to see them have, you know... Is that all? Running, <laughs> I don't want to see the one read um, passing game. I want to see some combination routes. I want to see Eric Decker now with a week off, hopefully close to 100% and being able to do what he's done when he's been healthy. I want to see Chris Johnson in the screen game to help mitigate the blitz because the Jets were getting killed in the blitz by San Diego. I want to see Chris Ivory get 20 carries. I'm waiting for a game where he actually gets a full 20 carries because he's averaging five yards a carry. I want to see Blau Powell involved in the offense. Yeah, where's he gone, Joe? Where, what is going on with that? I don't know. He's basically been completely phased out of the offense, which is ridiculous for a team that's short on talent offensively to not be using a guy who's produced for them and who's a good versatile running back um, that can help them definitely right now. And obviously I want to see Jason Morrow more heavily involved. You have Decker healthy and, you know, back to being himself. Your primary passing game targets need to be Decker, Curley, and Amaro, and, you know, run basically a three-wide set through those guys, get Chris Johnson a few passes, get him in the slot, get him in space, and then, you know, Hope Ivory is being the chain mover for you with – 15, 20 carries, get Geno running a little bit, picking up some first downs, get some drives together that keep Denver off the field and convert in the red zone. I mean, that, that's really what it's going to take. Having Decker there will help them convert in the red zone, but they need points early in this game. They need a first quarter touchdown just to get some confident for, confidence going for Geno, just to get everyone kind of out of this, like, out of the fog of what happened against San Diego. They could just come out, even on their first drive, and get four or five first downs and kick a field goal or at the end of the first quarter have it be, you know, a 10-7 or 7-3 game. Just kind of hang in there with the initial punches and get some yards on offense. You can't come out and go incomplete, two-yard loss on a run, incomplete punt, and then come out of the second drive, incomplete, incomplete punt. You have to, you know, hit a couple plays and get some momentum going early in the game or the crowd is going to be all over Geno. His confidence is going to be shaken. The defense is going to be shaken because they're going to say, oh, my God, this is going to be another one of those games where we're not going to get any points, and it's going to get ugly fast. And it, this game has potential to get very ugly fast. If if I was betting on this game, I would 100% take Denver and take the points. I think it's like a nine right now. Um, I hope the Jets prove me wrong. I hope they play well, but this is an awful matchup for them. There's really no way around it. Even if they were playing pretty well right now, this is still a very tough matchup for them. They just don't have – the horses to play with Denver right now. Um, they would need kind of a vintage, epically good Rex Ryan defensive game plan. They would need Geno Smith to play as well. We've seen him play. They need Decker healthy. They need Milner healthy and playing at their high level. And they need a couple things to break their way. They need, you know, a tip pass and an interception. They need, you know, Denver fumbling a kickoff. They need those kind of breaks to pull off yeah. this level of an upset. Yeah, and and I think also, all spot on, one thing that stood out to me there, Joe, and we've had you on the show for years now, so we were we were around when they hired Marty Morningway, and one of the things he seemed to excel at, especially early on, um, and he always did with the Eagles, I thought, was scheming guys open, right? Like, really designing uh, plays, especially in the passing game, where... 
it didn't matter the it sort of didn't matter tremendously the level of talent he had at wide receiver. He was great at scheme or or tight end. He was he was great at scheming guys open. I mean, we saw that on his first series, like when Sanchez uh, in the preseason against the Lions. You know, where oh wow, why is Jeff Cumberland by himself? You know, and it was a really well designed. Where has that gone? Like a guy like Salas or Jeremy Curley should be, you know, getting seven, eight targets a game, five, six catches a game. And it was there the first three games, you know, two and a half, three games of the season this year. And just the last two games against the Lions and the Chargers, where has that gone? It's a really good question. Like you pointed out, they had 400 yards of offense against the Bears, and they were moving at times against the Lions. They had that great first half against the Packers. And I don't know if it's a combination of Geno's confidence getting shaken and thus through that morning way and Rex's confidence in Geno getting shaken, so they're trying to roll everything back. I don't know if they don't know how to adjust to not having Decker in the lineup, although they did fine without him in the lineup against Chicago, at least in terms of, you know, gaining yards. But it just seems like they're not getting the most out of what they have right now. And I'm aware that they're not loaded with offensive talent. They definitely aren't, but they're definitely not getting the most out of what they have. I'm watching the Jets call a pass play against San Diego, and they send they send Cumberland, John Connor, Ivory, <laughs> T.J. Graham into a route with David Nelson. Meanwhile, Amaro, Sudfeld, Curley, and Chris Johnson on the bench. So it's like, what are you? Yeah. Thinking, what are you doing? Like, who are you throwing to? Yeah, and and Johnny Package has got to calm down. I mean, I, I don't need to see different personnel on every play. On every play. Yeah, the hockey I line mean, shift. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's guys jumping over the boards. Why? Let's. Can we just get like a consistent line? And how can that possibly help a young quarterback develop any sort of, you know, uh, rapport with the guys he's got on the field? Every down, he's throwing to three different guys. He's trying to read three different guys. Like, you know, I, I hope that Decker being back in the lineup, um, and hopefully he is this week, especially against his old team, you know he has this circled. Um, and, and hopefully he can, you know, play a full game. I mean, we haven't seen the guy for a full game yet. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I think he played the whole Raiders he game. Looked, he looked so good in that first half against Green Bay. And it was like, God, we finally have a real receiver in that course. Yep. Hurt. So yep. it, I really yep. hope taking the week off got him back to being healthy. Because I, a healthy Decker and a healthy Milner will make this roster look a lot different. Um, it really does. Really healthy, it though. really does. It really let's let's talk about that, guys. Let's talk about let's take maybe a, a wider view and shift the the focus out a little bit to the bigger picture and the beating that John Itzik is taking. And I just need to say this. I just need to say this. We're not going to talk about all the the side you know the sideshow crap, but I do need to say this. So I'm going to. Because it's our podcast. <laughs> the calls for John Itzik to have a press conference to explain himself um, are only only happen with teams like the Jets and the Mets, and they're ridiculous. I, I could I I, <laughs> I want to go like Jesse Jackson here, or you know, it's ridiculous or. Uh, Jackie, yeah, like Jackie Childs. It's ludicrous, preposterous, because it it doesn't happen for other teams. And my my prime example was last year with Jerry Reese. 
when the Giants were 0-6. 0-6. And a good deal of that was because they were direct, bereft, not direct, that's not a word, bereft of talent and didn't do anything in free agency because Jerry Reese had the team $9.5 million over the cap. So they couldn't even sign anyone, which to me is just as bad as leaving $20 million under the cap. You're still leaving your team without talent. And there were no calls for him to hold a press conference to explain himself. Actually, strike that. There was one. There was one article in the Daily News. It was from Vecchiano, but it wasn't calling for him to have a press conference. It was saying he's going to have to explain himself in two weeks when he has his press conference at the bye. You know why? Because that's when general managers give press conferences. They don't do it at the behest and whim of the media. I'm not quite sure why John Isik needs to come and hold a press conference to explain himself for a team that's one and four. So I just, I don't, Jerry Reese didn't need to do it. He didn't need, he didn't address anything about it until he had his press conference in week eight when they were two and six. So. No, I think you do standard procedure. I mean, that's standard procedure for a GM. You don't want your GM to be a big public face for you know out there every couple. Not in season. Not in season. It's not his job in season. It's the coaches. It's it's on the coach to be the face of the organization during the season, and Mm -hmm. the the fact that the Jets are expected to completely, you know, uh, be different than everybody else. The expectation of their general manager in the media is completely different than every other NFL team, goes to show the level of idiocy that surrounds some of the Jet Beat reporters. We're fortunate now that we have a couple of good ones, thankfully. You know, we had, we had Dom on a couple weeks ago, Joe, who was, was fantastic, uh, Cosentino. Um, you know, there are a couple of good ones that, you know, Chris Lepresti still does a great job, although they're starting to get to him. Um, you know, but... Just to watch a press conference every day, guys, and listen to Manesh Mehta ask questions of the head coach. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I, I, I said this to you today, Cal. Mm-hmm. Just wait. Just wait until there's a new coach there next year. These guys are going to be in for a rude awakening because a new coach is not going to answer these questions. He's not. Especially if they're asked in the smug disrespectful of football knowledge way that a lot of these reporters ask these questions. Another coach is, Joe, I was watching that press conference today. I was like, wow, boy, these guys are going to be in for a rude awakening when there's a new coach here next year. See, he's just not going to answer them. Yeah, it's, it's a very... It could be a very frustrating situation at times to, you know, follow the way this team is covered. I think it's got a little better in the past few years, only in that there's a handful of more quality beat reporters around the team now. You, you know, you mentioned a few of them by name. And, you know, we've seen people come through here and do a good job, and look where they end up now. Jenny Varentes is here. She did a good job. She works for Monday Morning Quarterback now. Yep. Connor Orr was here. He works for Around the NFL for NFL.com now. Yep. Unfortunately, you still kind of have this, these kind of handful of guys who will either, I don't necessarily even have a problem with them kind of being negative or critical of the team. That's part of their job. They're, it's part of what they have to do maybe to Absolutely. sell papers or that. 
If they want to be critical of the team, I'm not asking for sunshine and rainbow coverage of the team. What I am asking for is consistency with you covering the team and keeping your personal individual issues out of the team. So if you're going to write an article, Rex is losing all his influence with the team, fire Rex. And then two months later, you're going to say, well, fire the GM. And then two months later, you're going to write an article, blame Woody. And then today you wrote an article, Ben Chino. And then next week your article is going to be cut Vic. You're just basically, what's the most inflammatory thing I could say this week? Who can I write a teardown article on? And I'm going to publish it. There's no consistency there. And then when you're going to question players in an unprofessional way and in such an unprofessional way that your peers are calling you out your on own social colleagues. media for yeah. everybody yeah. to see and in their own articles, that's, that's not professional conduct. That's not professional conduct. And when you can tell that you're personally bitter because everything that you directly projected to happen in the offseason turned out to be wrong, or you know, your sourcing has kind of been locked out, I can't take what you're saying seriously because there's a personal vendetta behind it. And you're telling me things like the Jets were sunk because they signed David Garrard to a tryout contract last year. Really, that, that sunk the Jets? Like, how, how am I supposed to take that seriously? You want to be critical of the team? You want to be critical of Idzik? That's fine. He's opened himself to some criticism. I may not agree with all of it. I may say, hey, I don't say the guy's a good or great GM yet. I'm just saying, give him a little time. Tannenbaum was here seven years. He was four and twelve in the second year. A GM gets more than a year and five games. But you know, the kind of we got to get past the point where every article is just ten people writing an article about who needs to be fired. Fire, fire, fire! This person. It's like I get it. It's week five, but we're arguing in you know circles about who should get fired. You're going to write the same article with the same 21 million cap space and mentioning the same three corners over and over again, talking about Revis when they never had a chance to sign Revis. He went directly from Tampa to New England. It's not like he yeah. came here, served up on a silver platter for the Jets, and they turned him away. It's, you know, it, it's very frustrating, obviously, to watch at times. Well, you talk about the, the prof- professionalism, and, um, you know, we're, we're no beat writers over here, but when you're writing the story first and then filling it in to fit your your narrative that's where you lose your credibility like there was an article a couple last week that uh, uh john idzik's draft is a failure four weeks into the season you said mike tannenbaum was your seven years the john idzik gets four weeks before his his draft is deemed a failure and that's clearly i have this idea that i'm going to rip the draft and now I'm going to backfill it and, and make everything fit into that story. And it's just, it's just not, it's not fair reporting. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's all we're asking for guys. You know what I mean? One of the biggest reasons I've always had a, that's spot on Cal, because it's, you know, what we call it, the control F5 way of reporting. Like I got this article ready to go. I'm just going to change the names and put in my narrative and away we go. Um, they have shortcut keys for all these stories. Yeah, find, find, replace. Right. It's all, all the reason that it's so upsetting as a Jet fan, as a rational, non-self-loathing, non-self-flagellating, non-woe is me you know, we're almost like it's like, truthers at this point. Um, and, and again, I don't, I don't have a Pollyanna uh, uh, vision of this team. Am I more optimistic than other uh, Jet fans? Yeah, most likely. Um, 
and which is surprising considering I've been watching the team for 35 years. But I, I don't see the – there's no joy in woe is me. There's no joy in it. And one of the reasons that the reporting is so important about around the Jets is because they set the narrative for the rest of the country. And they set the narrative for the way the Jets are portrayed in the mainstream media. And we've talked about this before. That's one of the things that your site has battled against. Is uh, that those stories get picked up by the national outlets. And then all of a sudden, every Jet fan is an idiot. And every Jet fan boos Geno Smith. And every Jet fan gets in a fight at the game. And every Jet fan hates John Itzik. And every Jet, you know, all this kind of stuff becomes the national perception. And it's just not true. You know, and, and that's where the frustration lies in how the team is covered. And so, it, and, and frankly, with the Jets, it's part of the story. Part of what being a Jet fan is. You know, a Jet fan right now, over the last number of years, I mean, I've got to say, most of it since Rex has been here, but it was with Mangini and Herm, and you play to win the game, and it's it's sort of like part and parcel of being a Jet fan. And I, I, you know, when I was talking about us talking about the Jets tonight on Twitter and stuff, part of it was because I, I can't listen to WFAN right now. I can't. I, I just, I can't. I can't take the woe is mirrors that are on, that are the hosts, and I can't take the callers. I can't. I can't do it. Like... I just don't where's the joy? You know, there's no once again there's no joy in following this team and a big part of it is the narrative that's set by the media. I agree. I mean, I don't I don't buy in the way you kind of said it, I don't buy in blaming losses that this team has on things that happened, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, this big kind of negative cloud of curse hanging over the team. I'm just going to try to kind of take it on a week-to-week basis, and I just, I'm not going to be like, oh, they lost to Green Bay, same old Jets, end the season, it's over, they're going to be terrible for the next five years, you know, burn it all down and start from scratch. I I, I don't see that as a fun, or nothing about being fun, I don't see that as a productive or reasonable way to kind of follow and track a team. And the problem is, is that as long as that kind of, fandom is like really prevalent that that's what the beat writers deal to that's what that's what they want to read they want to read that 1200 word irrational takedown of the coach or the gm and they want to read the jason keedle piece from wcbs that says the jets are appalling because they lost and they're appalling because they lost the football game that's you know that's the kind of content that you get if you want to be that kind of fan go read that stuff that that is your self-flagellation to the jets or this cursed horrible thing and there'll be a voice and there'll be an audience for that as long as that's the way people want to choose to follow the team. But there's no, you can't convert those woe is mirrors over to the rational side. So there's a market for that. There, there are those fans that want to be that way and they want to just wallow in the self-pity and the same old jets and everything is awful. And we can talk to her blue in the face about, uh, the plan that John Idzik has and speak rationally about it, you're not going to convert them. That's the, the, it's just two separate worlds at this point. Yeah, I'm sending everybody. I've been sending out that Barnwell article to like like 25 people. 
that are like my Uncle Tommy. My Uncle Tommy is a great same old Jets fan. He is. And I love him. We went to games together for 19 years. He's been a Jets fan since, you know, he was born in 57. He was 12 when they won the Super Bowl or 11. He's been a Jets fan his whole life. You know, he's a huge Namath fan. He loves it. He has a Jet room, guys, a Jet room. It's, it has Jet wallpaper. I'm not kidding. You know, <laughs> that's where he plays his PlayStation. Um, wallpaper? He does. He has Jets wallpaper. Wow. The, the best the best part about his Jets wallpaper is, so he, my Uncle Tom has no kids, so you can have a Jet room when you have no kids. Um, <laughs> and, and that's where you play PlayStation and play guitar. Um, and he he got the Jets wallpaper the year before they went back to the old uniforms. So he got it, I think, in 90... I think, I got, I think he got it in 97, right? Because they went back to the old uniforms in 98. Yeah, when Parcells came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And because um, Parcells had to wait a year to put it in, he put right. it in with the league, right? So in '97, he's got the old, like dark green with the you know the cool the '80s Jets logo and stuff. I love that. Yeah. Like his his room is a throwback room. It's great. And he is he is yeah exactly. He is bitter, guys. He's pissed. He's super pissed. He won't go. He won't go. He won't go to the game. He's going this Sunday to the Denver game because he's under gone. duress. He really is. <laughs> he really. He said, "I may go and root for Peyton Manning. I might." Right. So he yeah. and I sent him. I sent him the Barnwell article, and I said, "Read this. Just get, read it." He texts me back 15 minutes later. And he goes, "I guess I got to sit on my hands then for three years." Right. I said, "No. You, no. We're already two years into this." They're already in year two. Like you're gonna, they're gonna be forty-two million dollars under the cap next year. Like the 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 wheels are in motion, Babu. You don't have to, but you can't. I can't convert him over. The only thing that converts him over is winning. That's it. Now he's not like a lot of these knuckleheads, because suddenly I'm a fifty-year-old guy in 1975. He's. He doesn't, like, boo Geno Smith on an incompletion, like, on his first incompletion of the game. He doesn't do that. You know, but he's the same – he's a dark sider. He's the same old Jets fan. And you're not going to convert these guys. And and they're also the ones who are tuning in to Joe Beningo every week, every day, to listen to him say, oh, we suck, bro. Oh, the pain. You know? Yep. There's, there's no joy in oh, the pain, man. Do me a favor. Talk to me about why Rex Ryan, like you have Mo Wilkerson on. Ask him why his coach is dialing up, you know, cover zero safety blitzes on third and 11 six times against the best quarterback in football right now. Ask him that, please. That's what I want to know. You know, like, hey, hey, because he says Muhammad wrong. Can you you know tell me why Rex is continue to blitz or you know going with cover zero? Why is Kyle Wilson covering Golden Tate any time ever? Oh, Kyle Wilson, Joe, I can't I can't talk about Kyle. Wilson. In what universe <laughs> that ever happened? Like my head is gonna explode with Kyle Wilson. Kyle Wilson, his inability to be a real NFL cornerback set into motion a chain of events <laughs> on that this year that cost this team. So dearly, because when those injuries happened to Milner and Dex McDougal, and of course Dimitri Patterson went off the reservation, because you couldn't play Kyle Wilson on the outside, 
you had to play Antonio Allen there. Because you had to play Antonio Allen there, you had to play Calvin Pryor on way more snaps than you were supposed to. And you still had Kyle Wilson sucking in the slot, right? So the, the, it first should have been... Pick, 2010 first, first round pick. First round pick. First round pick. And this is not Ray Mickens. This is not a small guy. He shouldn't be a slot corner. And he's not even good at that. It's ridiculous. So 2010 you, is four years ago. It's four years. He's in his fifth <laughs> year. And Rex still... When is he going to be an all-pro, Rex? When is it going to happen? Because you told me he was going to be. You told me. You said it. Kyle Wilson, to me, is the, is, you know, exhibit A of Rex's overconfidence in his coaching ability on defense and his overconfidence in his players. He is, the fact that he's still on this football team is absolutely unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I'm, I'm quite sure, I, Joe, I wanted to ask you this. Actually, both of you guys, because this came up. And we are, uh, of course, Collision Low Crossers disciples, which inexplicably most of the jet media is not. <laughs> We've said it before perfect, on this perfect show. Perfect window into Rex's positives and <laughs> yeah. negatives as an NFL head coach. There's an entire book. Maybe we've seen it mentioned three times. We've seen it mentioned three times when it first came out. There's an entire book. If you guys want to know what he is as a coach, go read the freaking book. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. But this, the, the, the John Itzik operating in some sort of bubble as he's establishing this roster and putting this roster together coming, in, together coming into this year, we know is untrue. Like, we, we know that he's relying on player evaluations from Rex Ryan and from his coaching and from Dennis Thurman and from Marty Morningway and he's he's relying on when they go into the off season and into free agency he has a complete you know workup on the team and what they have so he's got you know he's got a, an entire uh workup on you know Kyle Wilson no we don't need another corner we're okay we don't need that much depth at cornerback let's not overpay we don't need to overpay for this guy or that guy like, John, John Itzik didn't be like, you know what, guys? I got it. I got it. Thanks. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear your opinions of what's on the roster. I'm going to do this myself. Yeah. Any notion to the, you know, and we know it because we read Collision Low Crossers. That's how it worked on, under Tannenbaum. That's how it works. He's going to get feedback from his coaches. That's how it works. So, you know, I my brother has accused me of being John Itzik's counsel <laughs> in recent weeks. Accusation that we get many times just because we don't want to immediately write off the 15 draft picks from the past two years who are still on the team and still have – we have no one has any idea what kind of NFL players all of them are going right. to turn into at this point. Right. I, I mean, but am I wrong, Joe? Like, we, we read that book. Like, that's how it works. He goes into the free agency period with an entire workup – and scouting report on what he has. If the coaches are overvaluing what they have, what's he supposed to do? You know, if Marty yeah. Morningway is telling him telling him that Greg Salas can be a you know a three. But by the way, I like Greg Salas quite a bit. But if he can, you know, he can be our third guy. Absolutely, he can be our third guy. Totally. Then why am I going to go pay eleven million dollars for James Jones? It's 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 all interrelated there. You know, this guy's not operating in a vacuum. He's not. 
Exactly. And of course, it's a collaborative, it's a collaborative process. And, and Rex of course, has gotten Rex has gotten six first round picks on defense since he's been the head coach here. So he's not that much of a victim. I mean, he's gotten six first round picks on defense. He's gotten he inherited a team that already had a first round pick on the roster with Pace and had a second round pick with Harris. Then he got six more six you know first round picks. So, and Cal, you said. The last thing on this, and then we, and then we can wrap up. And Joe, thanks again for so much time. Um, no but Cal, like you said today about Rex, like he he's getting a pass again. Well, it feels like it. It feels like he is. It feels like because of the quarterback and because of Idzik and all of this money that he's not spending. It feels like Rex is like third on the depth chart of blame right now. Yeah. I I I think his coaching has been abysmal. This, this really is going to become the dominant story. This will probably be the dominant storyline for the rest of the season, and it's going to get. Re- I'm going to guess it's going to get really ugly because Rex has a good relationship with his agent, who represents a lot of players, and with the other agents, and it's just going to turn into. It, it looks like Rex is going to get fired, or he does get fired. There is going to be a story every single day in the Daily News packed with anonymous sources yeah. saying there was no way Rex could win with this roster. He was overruled here. He was overruled here. It was a disaster because it's going to be let's completely burn the Jets and find a way to get this guy a head coaching job elsewhere. So if it kind of devolves into that, it's going to get ugly. And again, Jet fans are going to fall back to being more loyal to Rex because because of his personality and because they went to the AFC Championship game with him twice and because John Edzik's the newer guy in town. and he, that, It's just going to happen. And Jet fans, the sooner they accept the reality that Rex is in his sixth year and Edzik is in his second and that the rope is a lot shorter on Rex, the better. Edzik's not getting fired in season. He's not getting fired after the season. It's just not going to happen. Unless maybe the Jets go 1-15 and and you know, some other ridiculous off-field things happen, but it's much more likely Rex is going to get fired than Idzik the sooner Jet fans accept it and the sooner Jet fans look at some of the numbers from Rex in the past three, four years, the better. Yeah. You we, know, yeah I, I, well, no, I, I I kind of agree with Joe. I think if Idzik's uh, at fault for anything, if if you want to get on him for, for anything, leave leave the, the $20 million alone and, and leave the, the 12 draft picks alone. I think his his biggest mistake in hindsight was bringing Rex back. Yeah, it could be. And and the the worst thing to happen to this team was that three and one finish. It really right. was. It might have set them back a year. You know, it it really might have because they they probably needed to move on from Rex. You you talked about it a ton on your site, Joe, at the time. You know that that you thought they should move on for Rex in spite of the three and one finish and the eight and eight season. Um. It was probably the worst thing that happened in this team. Joe, where do you what do you see? I mean, are they one and six? Is that is that unavoidable? Oh, one more thing, guys. One more thing. I have to say this because I am ridiculously Pollyanna. A couple <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Joe, we talked about on the show how the Giants changed the narrative, the entire narrative of their season in four days. In four days. From Sunday to Thursday, <laughs> um, they were 0-2. It was fire Coughlin. Coughlin's got to go. Eli's going to be replaced. 
you know, when are we bringing Bill Cower in here? Every, you know, this team's going four and twelve at best. Blah blah blah. They went out and beat the Texans without Arian Foster because this is what happens with the Giants. Every every week, there's three or four guys out. Um, but they went and beat the Texans at home, took care of business there, and then four days later, you know, they went out and pasted the Redskins. Uh, on Thursday night, and Eli had five touchdowns and blah, blah, blah. And on Friday morning, it feels like 2007 all over again. They flipped the narrative in four days, entirely on their season. So, and this is where I turn around, mess up my hair, and do an impression. I think this goes a little something like this. The Jets go out on Sunday and beat the Broncos. Four days later, they go and beat the Patriots. And they have flipped the entire narrative of the season. From your now, mouth I'm not, to God's ears, man. I mean, <laughs> that is one way to, to, to salvage your season. It, 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 it really would be. Like, that's, that's, that's it. That's the only way they salvage their season. Like, I don't even think a split gets, gets, that gets them to salvage their season. We could we could just hang our hopes on the NFL being a very crazy week to week league when it's amazing how quick the narratives change around teams. But yeah, all, all it takes is it's amazing. All it takes is one win to turn things around. And I can't say that I do think the Jets are going to win this week. I don't. But if they did win, it would be interesting to see how the narrative kind of could quickly pivot. Um, you know, if they got back to two and four, three and four, even if like. Let's say that they find a way to split the next two weeks, and right. then they get to the halfway point at three and five. I think I picked them to be four and four halfway through the year. I think most people probably have them around there too. So they're three and five halfway through the year, and it's like, hey, like are they that far off the pace that we thought? Like their second half schedule is not too bad, and then you come out and play well, and all of a sudden maybe you're you know you're five and six, and you're going into December playing meaningful games. So yeah. things could still change. The point is that if they get to one and six. Is is it going to be the complete meltdown? Anonymous sources, people quitting, you know, players quitting, right. people not playing hard. Does it devolve into being a four and twelve team, or do they kind of? If the Giants were zero and six last year, they finished eight and eight. You know, the Jets are one and six. Could they find a way to go finish seven and nine? Is that a bad thing if they do? Because I mean, they're going to bring Rex back again, or yeah, right. I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see what kind of team shows up. I think they'll play better against them than they did against San Diego. Well, that's not really saying much. But I just don't think they, they're ready to beat a team like Denver as of now. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Now, uh, are you going this weekend? I'm not going, actually. It's a four-year anniversary with the fiancé, so I'll be up in uh, Plymouth watching at a sports, bar, a sports bar called The Foz in Norwell, Massachusetts, on NFL Sunday ticket, packed in the corner <laughs> by myself um, as I sneak away for three hours on a Sunday. It's actually the only game I'm not going to this year. I've been in every other home game, and I'm planning to go to all the others this season. But I will be in a sports bar in Plymouth, Massachusetts, hopefully not drinking myself into oblivion as I'm surrounded by <laughs> a thousand Pats fans, watching them beat the Bills probably. Nice. Uh, well, uh, have a great time, Joe. Thanks so much for the time uh, again, man. Keep up the great work at uh, TurnOnTheJets.com. And, of course, uh, Whistle Sports is doing really, really well. And, um, you know, congratulations again on the engagement. And maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll get to uh, drink ourselves into oblivion at the Bills game because I think that's uh, that's my one game this year. So, uh, Absolutely. We'll, we'll, Sounds like a plan. 
We'll be there to watch uh, Kyle Orton uh, tear up Kyle Wilson. Battle of the Kyles. Oh, my be God, good. <laughs> nightmare for another week. I hope he. I hope he puts Kyle Wilson on Sammy Watkins. That'll be good. That'll be good. Because I have Sammy Watkins in fantasy, so you know maybe I'll get a little greedy that week. Uh, Joe, uh, stay in touch, brother, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, pal. All right. Thanks again, guys. All right, brother. Thanks, Joe. It's always melancholy when he leaves. Nick Drake. If you're not depressed now, you will be. Wait about 30 seconds. Uh, great. Caparoso. He's so good. Joe Cap. This is just fantastic. Uh, special thanks to him. Let's uh, end this portion of the show and go to the fun load. Shall we? Please. Please, you say. Please do. Is that how we end the show now? With the law and order thing? Oh, that's great. Do that again. The the uh the type just came up on the screen. <laughs> District Attorney's office. Um that's uh that's gonna wrap the uh the first portion of the show, episode number one hundred and ninety six. Uh, go to rtusports.com to subscribe to the podcast. Also go to turnonthejets.com. Every day for all your Jets uh, content. The message board is really getting good there, too. There's some really good dialogue going on. And it's not just uh, fire it sick every 14 seconds. Um, huge thanks to Joe Caparoso uh, from Turn on the Jets uh, for doing this. And uh, go to Turn on the Jets or go to rtsports.com. All right, let's uh, play the outro music. Should we play the outro music or should we just like count down from 10? Or just do the Law and Order thing. Just do the law and order thing. Ready? And 10 more minutes. <laughs> and he wasn't ready. And he wasn't ready. <laughs>